Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm Tanya. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode number 98. Today, we'll be offering advice and ideas for seasoned teachers. We'll also share some highs and lows from our teaching week, discuss some ideas in our Know Better, Do Better segment, offer a work smarter, not harder teacher tip, And in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying in and out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. So now it's time to share some highs and lows of our teaching week, but first we want to share a hi slash thank you. We have started a buy us a coffee, buy me a coffee page, where if you are enjoying any of the content we've been putting out for the past few years and you want to send us a little love to say thank you, um, we always appreciate it. So we just thank those of you who have already done that. Lindsay, Jessica, David, Jennifer, and someone. We love you, AJ. We know it's you. Um, thank you to those folks who have who have bought us a coffee because it it really helps, helps us pay for this podcast and we'll buy each other a coffee when, um, when we're on the road to our next PD or something like actually, that. Actually, we, we actually used that. I did, did buy us coffees on our yeah. way to see Dr. Karen Howard at the Rocky Regional Organization of the Kodai Educators, Colorado Kodai Educators yeah. workshop last weekend. That's true. Yeah, we, we bought coffee with that. So thanks all. Um, and if you would like to do uh, a buy us a coffee type situation, um, there is a button on our website, which you can find at Music Teacher Coffee Talk Podcast com or we've linked to it on our Facebook page so just click the link that says buy us a coffee and whatever you feel like donating we will certainly accept and appreciate so thank you yes thank you all right so moving on to some highs or lows Tanya would you like to start okay I'm gonna share another high again I I really thought I mean there's lots of lows of course going on um well let's just say challenges but just something kooky happened with a second grader this week that I wanted to share because I think it kind of illuminates the power of puppets. I'm a, I'm a puppet fan. I know Carrie is a puppet fan. We've (laughs) done Facebook live. We did a Facebook live all about puppets. So if you want to see that it's on Facebook under music teacher coffee talk, uh, where we've shared puppets and what we use them for. And, and, um, yeah, there's so many reasons puppets can bring out things in kids that you as the adult grown up music teacher can't always do that. So sometimes kids are willing to sing to and with a puppet um, more than they are willing to interact with you as a um, as a teacher. And this was illuminated because I have a second grader. And at the end of class this week, my little second grader, who I've known since kindergarten, and I'll, I actually taught his mom. So that just shows how long I've been teaching at this school. So yeah, I taught his mom and now I am teaching him. And uh, and he was like, Miss Lejeune, um, I want to I want to talk to I want to talk to you. I was like, okay, go go ahead, Toby. His name's not Toby, but he's like, no, no, I want to um, no, can I talk to your hand? And I said, uh, <laughs> okay. And so I put my hand up like a puppet and made my hand open. And you can't see me; it's a podcast. But I made my hand open and closed. I said. Okay, Toby, what did you want to say? And um, he had a conversation with my hand. Wow. (laughs) And I'm sorry, that was just, it was a little weird, but I'm like, whatever, whatever gets Toby sharing and exchanging, that's cool. Um, I didn't even need to put a puppet on my hand. And it gives a new meaning to talk to the hand. Oh, right. In a positive way. So I'm putting that down as a high because, um, you know, Toby, not his real name, might not be willing to talk to me, Miss Lejeune, but boy, he wanted to have a conversation with my aunt. Yeah. That's (laughs) cute. I love it. And you, Carrie? Hi? Hello? I I know it's been a week. um, I told Tanya before we started this I can say it's probably one of the most difficult weeks of my teaching career. Um, we've had some really difficult, extreme behaviors um, popping up at my school this week. Um, some of them in the music room, some of them near the music room, around the music room. Things I can't really talk about on this podcast because they are very extreme. Um, 
even with you know anonymous not using kids names things i just wouldn't feel comfortable talking about in this podcast so with that to say i i shared there was a meme a meme i don't know what you call it an image going around on instagram and facebook that i i shared in our stories this week just as that reminder that like everybody a lot of people and i'm just gonna say it out loud the last time our current third graders had a quote-unquote normal year of school they were in first grade the last time our fourth grader said normal year, second grade, and so on. Therefore, the last year, second grade, first grade, or kindergarten had a normal school year. Guess what? They haven't. And I think we're all experiencing it. We're all feeling it. Um, it was a really difficult week. However, can I share a high with all of us? Oh, so, so I just high. wanted to say that I, it was not a great week for me. It really wasn't. But I also want to share a high. So I'm cheating and I'm doing both. Um, I was doing Los Machetes, the Mexican, we call it, you know, stick dance because we have to use sticks instead of machetes, but traditionally done with machetes. Wonderful dance um, that we both learned from Sana Longden um, in her fabulous teaching materials. And I was doing this dance with third graders as a part of celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month, um, along with other listening activities and other things we were doing. And um, I had a, I have a new student to me this year, a sweet girl, and um, she was so excited to tell me, my dad used to do do this dance we are from texas and in texas my dad was part of a of a dance group and he used to do the los machetes dance and this was literally just yesterday so i haven't had a chance to reach out to her dad but my first question was well does he still have his you know machetes that he used for dancing and she's and she's like i don't know i don't know if he has them anymore so i'm gonna reach out to that dad and see hey if you still have them or if you want to come in and ever do a demonstration for the kids of any dances if you remember them and feel comfortable. How cool is that to have like that personal parental connection and just the way her face lit up and she was so excited and so proud of her dad and her heritage. It just reminded me yet again, the importance of making sure that our students are seen, you know, this idea of windows and mirrors, right? That was an opportunity for her to see herself in a mirror in my class. And I was just really excited that she was able to share that with me and her classmates. And now it's time for our main theme. And we have titled this podcast, Dear Seasoned Teachers. So Carrie and I, we would like to share um, some advice, some tips, some thoughts about being a seasoned teacher. And we're really considering seasoned teachers to be, I guess, five years plus, right, Carrie? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, We are going to be referring to a article that lists the developmental stages of teachers. But before we get to that, Carrie and I have been talking a lot about, you know, why why should we give some thoughts and advice on this? Well, we have been teaching for a while, both of us. Mm -hmm. I'm in my 26th year of teaching. Carrie, you're in your, what is it? 21st. 21st. Oh my goodness. Wow. Um, For some reason, I thought it was less than that, but woohoo. And so we're, we're going to be talking antidotally from our own experience, but also want to let you know that there is research out there. Um, and additionally, I am a mentor teacher in our public school um, district. And so I have had a lot of training on the stages of teaching and the research that goes behind this. And we will link in our show notes the articles that we are talking about. And so you can look and see the research about like the stages that a teacher goes through in their career. So right away, let's talk about some of these stages that we're going to be talking about. Yeah. Four stages in in particular. Survival stage. So last time we were podcasting our last last episode, episode 88, we talked nope, about nope, nope, 97. 97. Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry. 97. 97. We um, were talking to new teachers. So the first stage, survival, which definitely I went through. And it's just like, wow, here I am doing this new thing and I just got to survive. Second stage, consolidation, collection of resources, materials, ideas. I have heard people refer to the consolidation stage as like the recipe collection stage Mm -hmm. where you're taking in all the things and you're seeing what works and what you like. And you're kind of discovering yourself as a teacher uh, and 
what is going to be best practice for you and your students. Third stage is renewal. And this is what we're going to be really focusing in on. And this particular episode is the stage of renewal where we um, kind of look at where we've been in our career and we kind of revise and establish philosophy and also maturity, final stage of teaching. Of course, here's the thing. There's no set amount of time that any one teacher is going to, going to it's not like I look at a um, teacher in their 11th year and go, oh, you're at the renewal stage. There's some guidelines, but really, depending on who you are and your training and your everything, you might be spending quite a long time. I know I spent a really long time in this consolidation mm -hmm. phase, collection of resources, that recipe collector phase, right? Um, and then the maturity, the very last stage, that can last a long time. Um, and within each one of these stages, there's things that happen in our career as far as how we view what's happening in the classroom, how we view our role in the classroom, right? Are you a facilitator? Are you a sage on the stage? And I mean, I can say that I have been all of these things because I've explored and experimented and I initially taught how I was taught, right? Right, right. And now I don't think that I taught, I am, I don't think I am teaching now how I was taught, but that came through a lot of um, you know, exploring and seeing what other people are doing and ideas and all that. All right. All that to say, let's go back to this renewal stage. Yeah. It's so third stage. I'm yes. going to read directly from this article that we are oh, yes. then going to link the full article in our show notes. So be sure to go back and, and read the whole thing. Um, but I'm just going to read directly because this is, this is what it is. So in the third stage of renewal, teachers are often in their third or fourth year of teaching and have began, become competent in the practice of teaching children. Activities and patterns previously, previously established have become routine and boring, and teachers are looking for new ideas that provide variety in the teaching setting. Teachers have mastered the management strategies and have explored and conquered various instructional strategies. An observer entering the classroom is likely to see a well-managed classroom where students are actively engaged in tasks that are appropriate to their individual needs. Teachers in the renewal stage are always striving to improve their classes and are interested in continually trying new methods or adding new twists, quote unquote, to their teaching patterns. And when I when I was reading this, I mean, the very first sentence is in their third or fourth year of teaching. I think COVID has probably added on a couple of years to any of these things, because I would imagine somebody who's in their fourth year of teaching, you really only maybe had one year of what a quote unquote normal school year looked like if we're thinking about like what I said earlier about students. So I'm thinking, you know, if, if you're trying to look at what has worked and you're adding new twists, maybe a few more years would be necessary to be in that stage. Just putting it out there. Like if you're in your third or fourth year and you're thinking, I'm not there yet, I'm not in renewal, I'm definitely still in collection or consolidation um, or even survival because of COVID, that's obviously totally normal. And I can see how some would feel that way. That hit me too, because yeah. when I said, when I saw that it was said third or fourth year of teaching. I thought, not me. That was, yeah, I yeah. think I was definitely in the consolidation collection of resources, materials, ideas. I would say for a good 10 years. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. I think for me, I mean, obviously finishing my Kodai training, which I did pretty earlier in my career, really helped me go to that renewal stage maybe a little earlier. So I would say for me, I was probably feeling it maybe by year six or seven, but yeah, especially, I don't know. And maybe this is also just a result of being music teachers and the workload we have and the amount of students we have. And the fact that like our curriculum is not a one-year curriculum, it's a six-year curriculum. <laughs> the idea of feeling like we need to add new methods or new twists to what we're already doing probably takes a lot longer, right? Because you're going to want to see, okay, I've now had my kindergartners all the way through fifth or sixth grade. So now I've seen my teaching the whole way through. And depending on your teaching situation, maybe you don't get to see that because you've had to change jobs a couple times. So yeah, I think for music teachers, we definitely wouldn't see it this renewal stage quite as early as year three or four. So just wanted to put that. Yeah. And all that to say is that it's, it's really, it would be easy for us to say, well, I'm in my fifth year of teaching. So I'm in this stage, 
and it doesn't really flow that way. Oh, of course not. Because of so many things. And yeah. there's no, I don't know, there's no, I can feel good about myself because I'm here. I feel bad about myself. There's none of that. It's just, this is kind of a typical, you know, teacher career phase idea. Totally. Yeah. And I definitely, I identify with this, but I will say, like I've said before, my first year lasted uh, three years. So it makes sense that all these stages that they say in this last X amount of years, now you can double or triple that for me. I, totally. Maybe I'm just a slow learner. I don't know. Does no, it matter? I think, I think, again, it's very typical, especially for music teachers. I, I would very much say that that's typical. So, so what about the renewal stage? What, what do you about think in, in that, Carrie? So here are some some advice, some things to think about, again, having lived through it and sometimes still being a part of this stage. I feel like I ebb and flow between this stage and maturity still. Um, so our first tip is to establish your philosophy and don't be afraid to hold to your values. And what I mean by that is, you know, we've we've talked about this before. This, if you have listened to us before, this is not surprising that Tanya and I really believe in the importance of establishing your own teacher philosophy and whether that is influenced by one particular quote unquote back of a lack of a better term method and really holding true to that without feeling like you have to do all the things all the time. So for example, if you really resonate with the Kodai philosophy and you have gotten your Kodai training, don't feel like, well, I'm not, I'm doing my students a disservice if I'm not also doing ORF and also doing Delcros and also doing everything else under the sun that pops up on my Instagram feed. Like hold to what you value for now, for a while, and then start to, when, like it said in the, in the article, when you're looking for new twists and new ideas, you can look for different ways to teach and different ways to reach your students. But don't be afraid to say, I am a ORF-inspired teacher. I am a Kodai-inspired teacher. And don't feel like that makes you any less of, a, of an amazing teacher for your students. You are grounding yourself in your philosophy and your beliefs, and that depth is really important. Yeah, that's our unpopular opinion, number one. Right. Yeah. And that's not to say that things that you learn at a, at a Delcros or ORF or Kodai um, workshop or read about or see on a blog doesn't mean that, oh no, I can't do that because that's under an ORF blog and I'm a Kodai teacher. It's not that. It's that when you take something from a wonderful idea, song, game, whatever it is, and you bring that into your classroom, how are you applying that to the bigger picture of what you want? your students to take away by that specific activity, uh -huh. right? So if I use a movement lesson that I learned from an ORF teacher, it doesn't mean now I'm an ORF teacher. It means that I'm using that and it's further illuminating some things that I want to teach within my classroom. And I'm going to use that um, through a Kodai lens. Like my main purposes for doing that activity are probably going to be different from someone who holds another philosophy as their number one, you know, this is my big overarching belief system. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's understanding the difference between the tools versus the philosophy, right? Exactly. And, and if this is something that's baffling you, then I encourage you just to do more reading and more listening and more learning about the differences in the philosophies, because yes, there are common underlying things, of course, but there's also things that are very unique to each philosophy. And it's important to kind of root yourself in that and not just think, oh, I'm using bard instruments, therefore I am an ORF teacher, or I'm using hand signs, therefore I am a Kodai teacher. That's not what it means. <laughs> and we've talked about it many times, so we won't go too much more off on that. Well, yeah, and I also wanted to add that it is great to also um, challenge your beliefs, right? I'm, I'm thinking oh, primarily totally. of, uh, so we went to a PD from Rocky last weekend that we had just mentioned with the wonderful Dr. Karen Howard, who uh -huh. if you have a chance to see, hear, read anything by Dr. Karen Howard, it is well worth your time. She is absolutely like, I want to be Karen Howard when I grow up, um, but that's never going to happen. Anyway, she's fantastic. And she's very much, um, she put out some things during this Kodai chapter presentation where she really challenged some of these tenets of the Kodai philosophy and said, 
okay, what does mother tongue mean to you? Let's talk about that, right? So these are good. It's good for you to question your own philosophy and to maybe say, well, okay, well, I understand what Kodai meant by the mother tongue in 1905 in Hungary. And this is what I take it to mean now for my 21st century teaching world and education, music education. So yes, have your philosophy. Don't be shy about questioning tenets of that, but yeah, establish your own values. What's most important. Yeah. All right. But you have to have the philosophy before you can question it. It's <laughs> really you what want it to know down. what it is for sure. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That that's yeah, that's the point. So okay. All right. Next piece of advice for renewal stage teachers. Find your people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I <laughs> I just ran over you. You were gonna say, find your people, right? Oh no, I think it was your turn to talk, but that's okay. Oh, was it me? Okay. Uh <laughs> This is the problem with the two people podcast. Find your people, join the organizations, serve on the board of chapters and organizations. Boy, national boards need awesome people, local boards. And we're talking, you know, ORF boards, Kodai boards, Delcros, music education, NAFME. They need people who are passionate about music education. Yeah. Maybe that's you and you learn a lot by serving on a board. Sometimes you learn things you don't want to know. Um, but <laughs> This is so true. But you can yeah. be the change. And, you know, uh, we had a conversation with a colleague recently who was feeling frustrated at some of the decisions being made within one of the music education organizations. And what was our advice to that person? Get on be the board. Change. Get on the board and be yeah. that voice because the change doesn't happen without the people who make that change. Um, it's a thankless job. Tanya and I have both served on our local boards, on our national boards for um, Oak. And it's it's not glamorous. It really isn't. It's There's no, you don't get money. You don't get compensation. They you don't might get 50 get likes on your Instagram page for showing up no. at a board meeting. No. no. There are small perks here and there. Like sometimes you get things compensated occasionally, not a lot. Like coffee. <laughs> some ways, sometimes you get some free meals, you know, like if you're an Oak chapter president, you get to go to the luncheon and you get a free lunch at the. Ooh, <laughs> now everybody's going to want to do it, Carrie. Shh. I know. Shh, don't tell a couple. But really, it's about the feeling that's that feeling of service that you are serving, you know, not just that board, but you are serving the teachers who belong to that organization and then therefore you are serving the students of those teachers who belong to those organizations um this is a time for big change and we know that and it's been coming for a long time and it maybe needs to come quicker in many of our national organizations it definitely needs to come quicker in our national organizations yeah so yeah so if you're passionate we need you and really if you've got that energy and that Um, And those ideas, I really urge you to go the route of giving back rather than being a teacherpreneur. But I mean, there's nothing wrong with those things. I know it's it's more profitable and I hate to say fame inducing to like, you know, um, start a TPT store or teach teachers and have them pay you. I, I understand why people are doing that. Take that energy, take those ideas and make big change by going to the places that are going to be in charge of the big change. So we're talking about national and local music education organizations. Yeah. So like I said, not not as sexy. Give it a try though. It's they we need people. We need right. energy. We need we need you. And for lack of, you know. Well, just it's going to sound cheesy, but it's true. I mean, some of these people are your lifelong friends. This is how Tanya and I became lifelong friends and many of our friends here in Colorado and who have since left Colorado. We love you, Becca. But, you know, just the people that, you know, you you end up crossing that line between just colleagues to very good friends and people who understand you in a way that nobody else does because they do the same thing you do. Um, Whether they live in your area or live far away, those are the connections that you make when you serve on these boards and they're important. Yes. 
Totally. All right. All right. Next. Well, if you haven't already, we definitely suggest at this stage you get some training <laughs> in in a philosophy. Um, and like we said in our last podcast, we definitely recommend finishing training in one philosophy before beginning training in another. You know, we've heard some teachers who just they want to get all the things right away and they think that's going to help them and help serve their students. But to me, I think it's better to finish your Kodai training and, and teach in that for a while before you get your ORF training or vice versa or any other trainings. Um, and, you know, word to the wise, I will just say, um, if you can do your training and, and master's degree, if that kind of all goes along with it for you before you start your family, just because I did it the other way and, you know, it was fine. I did a lot of, you know, online classes in the evening while babies were sleeping, but man, it's, it's hard work. And I remember telling myself, oh, I wish I could go back and tell Carrie 10 years ago to go ahead and finish that master's before the babies came. Obviously, sometimes life happens in ways you don't know it's going to happen, but that's just my advice is <laughs> if you're, you know, still young in your career and haven't started the family part of your personal life yet, if that's for you, um, consider trying to get the master's done first and the training done first. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, also, att attend PD, of course, at your local level, but maybe also at a larger level if you're able to have the time and the money that to go to those things. So you really get a lot out of going to national conferences. The ORF conference I know is going to be any day now, right? It's they coming up soon. It's in October. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Kodai conference this year is in March and in Philadelphia. Um, mm -hmm. There's NAFME conferences. Oh, no, it's in Pittsburgh, not Philadelphia. Oops. I'm sorry. Pittsburgh. That's okay. Yeah. Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's where we're going to be in March. Um, yeah, so attend these PDs. And if you have some expertise, if you have things you're passionate about, consider putting in proposals to present at these places. Like we keep saying, you know, if you've been in the profession and you've got some good experience with a specific topic, we need to hear, we need to hear from people. Totally. We need people who are sharing their expertise and their lived experiences. Yeah. And I know I, I've said this and I still say it to myself sometimes when I'm putting in a proposal to present somewhere like, oh, I don't have anything new. I, I'm just regurgitating the same ideas as other people. That's not necessarily true because then sometimes when I've presented, I hear people are like, I've never heard this before. I'm not, you know, so, you know, don't get down on yourself. Yes, of course, we all have gotten ideas from others, but we all have our unique twists on things or you might have some unique life experience or professional experience that sets you apart. So. So um, definitely put your voice out there when it comes to presenting at conferences. Yep. And finally, for these renewal folks is, you know, well, this kind of goes with what we just said, you know, honing your craft and then starting to offer that mentorship to others. So, you know, in our district, we have like a mentorship program where folks can mentor each other. I know other districts do the same. Um, also, you know, consider maybe it's time for you to consider being a cooperating teacher for student teachers. Obviously, different states have different stipulations as far as how many years you have to have taught before you can do that. But, you know, that's a good time to do that. You learn so much by, we know this, we learn so much by teaching others. So by having a student teacher or a mentor, you know, you're having to to put into words these things that you're doing, whether they work or things that you've had to change. And by putting it into words, you're consolidating your thoughts better and it's it's helping you learn as well. Um, one thing about that always is make sure you're giving credit where credit is due to those who came before you. So if you learned something from somebody, make sure you credit that person, whether you're doing it in a public space, like on social media and you're sharing your knowledge in that way, make sure you give credit to where credit's due. One example of this is like the Solfa Street thing, right? Solfege Street, we see, or Music Street, we see lots of people selling products on TPT and showing Instagram posts of their music room with Solfa Street or Music Street with the different um, Doremi, you know, houses on a street. And that idea, as far as we know, traces back to Sister Lorna Zemke. And it's just important to, to know where those things come from. I mean, obviously we know, you know, these things, it becomes the telephone game and sometimes things get lost in the shuffle. But if you learned something from us, we appreciate you crediting us. And we try to do the same thing and model that as much as possible. 
possible with our work too. Yes. I keep thinking that we could have, I don't know if anyone would listen, but we could have a whole episode about intellectual property. Oh, yes. Because a lot of those ideas are not um, not very prevalent right now, especially in the age of social media, but that's a, another whole thing. Yeah. All right. So we're going right. to moving on to what is considered the last stage of developmental stage of, uh, of a teacher is maturity. And I'm going to read directly from this article again, because it's just so good. Uh, the final stage of maturity occurs when teachers begin to ask questions of themselves and their teaching that focuses on insights, perspectives, and beliefs of teaching and children. Teachers in the maturity stage are still interested in new ideas and resources. However, they begin to ask deeper and more abstract questions about their philosophy of teaching and the impact they may be making in and out of the school setting. Questions include, what are my philosophical perspectives? Or how will schools change society? Or what is my role to assist in change? An observer entering a mature teacher's classroom will observe similar scenes as those of the renewal teacher. It is, it is through discussion with the teachers that the subtle differences emerge. And so, wow, this is this is where I, I want to live. This is how I, where I feel like I'm living. And I, I, I just want to be more accelerated in this idea of what changes am I making? How does this, how does my school, my classroom, my school, my school district, my community overall, how is this helping with positive change in society? How am I contributing? How am I not contributing? What can I do what overall do I want there to be of lasting impact from my practice as a music educator? So those are some big deal things. And not to say you shouldn't be teaching, thinking about that as a first year teacher, because, you know, I'm sure that crosses your mind. But in this stage of maturity, this is where we're really questioning that and where it's really important to get with like-minded individuals and bounce ideas off of, because as we've said over and over again, we're in a vacuum, right? When you're the music teacher and there's only you music teacher at the school and there's no other music teachers at the school, it's really hard to, you're just shouting into the abyss, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to find people that you can really reflect and refine ideas and action items with throughout your entire career. But especially when you've come to this conclusion, like, I think I know what I'm doing. I think I'm making a change. Now let me see what is that change, right? And right. what what am I missing? What could I be doing? How much of an impact can I have? What What's possible? Yeah. All right, so along with this, some tips for the maturity stage is rejuvenate yourself. Continue to attend PD, read, listen, evolve. And this is one of those things, and I'm not, I'm not thinking of anyone specifically, honestly, but I have, there have been teachers that I have known that, you know, I've been teaching for X number of years. I've been teaching over 12 years. There's nothing new under the sun. I'm not going to PD. I'm not reading that article. I'm not listening to that, that podcast. Now you're listening to us right now. So we think that's probably not you. Um, but anyway, not, no. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you ever get to a stage where you actually know it all. So um, I know I'm not there and I find it rejuvenating to attend PDs and to listen. And I, I mean, I think it's the beautiful thing about being an educator is not just that I get to be a music educator and I love music and I love kids and I love all that. It's also that I feel like this is a real career that I can be a lifelong learner and I'm never done understanding like teaching and communication and relationships. Like I'm never done with that. And I just find it fascinating. And I think that being a teacher is a lot more intellectually stimulating than so many other careers that I could have had. Yeah, so totally. if that re rejuvenates you also continue to do that, you might've been teaching for 20 years. You're still going to probably get something out of attending the Delcro's workshop happening next month. Mm -hmm. 
Totally. Yeah. And along those lines, our next point is to really seek out new experiences for your students and yourself, new repertoire, new practices, and to not get stuck. Um, be okay with letting go of practices or specific pieces of repertoire that no longer work for a variety of reasons. And we know this is something many music teachers and teachers in general are coming to terms with as far as harmful repertoire and harmful practices. Um, but, you know, it goes beyond that to just in general, just also making sure you're keeping things fresh. Like, so for example, for me, I strive to, I take my concept plans, you know, your concept plans for you, Kodai inspired folks, you know, that's kind of your, your curriculum laid out, like to teach Ta and Titi, I'm going to use these pieces of repertoire and these five to seven songs are kind of the norm that I usually teach. Well, every year I try to look at my concept plan and go, okay, it's time to take this one out and put this one in. And sometimes it's because I found out this piece was harmful in some way and it therefore doesn't belong in my classroom or it might just be because I'm sick of it I need something different or I'm trying to include more diverse repertoire more representative repertoire into my classroom or I went to this PD and I heard this really great song so taking out snail snail and I'm putting this one in instead so you know even those of you who have had the training and you know like yeah these are really good solid pieces that we know work but that doesn't mean there aren't a hundred other pieces out there that will work just as well if not better and you don't know until you try it with your students right and if you try something and it totally bombs okay you can go back to snail snail but at least you tried it and you're trying to keep things fresh right exactly yeah and it's interesting because i don't know that about myself until i'm like writing my lesson plans for the next week like here's something that happened this year already i was exactly doing ta and tt planning and i was like oh engine engine i'm so tired of engine engine like as i'm writing it down uh -huh. in my plans for next week i'm like well you know what i don't have to you know bleep engine engine but i'm going to put something else in like there's so many other things that i can use and i just don't know that about about myself until i face like all right how do i feel about repeating engine engine 20 times this week eh, well how about this other piece right yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's like kind of like your wardrobe. You can add right. pieces and take out old ones and come back to them. And that's going to keep your brain fresh too. Like I know that I can pull engine engine out of my brain and I can do it with students where, oh no, if I'm trying to use this piece, that means I actually have to study it and memorize it and make sure I know the translation and know the background. Yes, but that's good for me too. Like that shouldn't be your reason not to do something because you have to do that extra little bit of homework. That's what's good for us. And that's what we need in this stage, even though sometimes we don't want to do it and I get it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, another tip for that maturity stage where we're still rejuvenating our practices is we keep saying this over and over again, share your expertise, be willing to present, be a mentor teacher, a cooperating teacher to a student teacher. And something that I really love about my training as a mentor teacher is that it there's so much um, research-based training that I received that has been so helpful for me in leading first year teachers and helping them reflect on their practice, but it forces me to reflect on my own practice as mm -hmm. well. And I don't think if I would have started mentoring teachers, like in my sixth year, I don't think I would have had the experience to really be able to apply all of these researched ideas that were coming at me like I am now, totally. if that makes sense. Yeah. So experience means a lot, you know, um, Gary and I keep talking off mic about, you know, teaching during COVID, teaching post COVID. And I don't think we're post COVID yet, by the way, people, I don't think anybody thinks we're post COVID, but like we've been talking about how, you know, it, it's hard to, um, it's hard to take ideas from people who haven't experienced teaching during COVID right? because it's a whole other animal. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I hear ideas from people who taught 10 years ago, but they haven't taught in the last two years, I go, I, I understand that sounds okay, but how does that work in the world we're in now? Right. right? right. So 
anyway, no, totally true. Yeah, back. your expertise is valuable if, especially if you have been teaching real children in real classrooms. <laughs> right, real children in real classrooms, and and that's not even. I'm not even talking about like during COVID because of the sanitizing and because of the distance. I'm talking emotionally. Yeah, totally. And I I know Carrie. We keep talking about this, and I keep seeing it mentioned all over the place. It is different now, mm-hmm. and students, children are different now. Um, and what they need is different now than what I've ever experienced in my 26 years of 25 going on 26 years of teaching. It is different. It's just different. Well, and this is why I feel like three years ago, I was pretty solidly feeling like I was in this maturity stage, but definitely since COVID, I feel like I'm, I've slipped back to renewal and even into consolidation because boy, did I have to collect a lot of new ideas to learn how to teach, you know, like you said, dealing with the distancing or dealing with the technology, but also the social emotional piece. That's not something I was taught. So this is why Tanya and I did our book club on, you know, SEL and using SEL strategies and the music room. So you never stop learning. You always can go back to that consol or what is it called? Collection? Consolidation? I keep using the wrong word. Consolidation I, phase. You can always go back and get more, right? Get more yeah. ideas. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And and then it's also shocking just to see the things that I would have never predicted that are issue. Totally. Oh yeah. yeah. Like I was doing okay, a, a dance with kindergarten and I went to take a kindergartner's hands. I took her, I took her little hands and there was no pressure. It was like holding dead fish. Right. And I'm like, oh my. And she wasn't the only one either. They don't right. Know how to do it. They don't know how to take hands and like, you know, give a little pressure there. <laughs> um, and then when I, usually I'm like, if we're going to do a, we're going to turn in a circle, we take both hands, we turn in a circle that was very challenging. Like he didn't get it. Usually I don't have to say anything. I just start moving and the, and this kid starts moving with me and, Oh, look, we've made a full circle. Nope. So, you know, little things like that, that are coming Uh up that I'm like, I would have never guessed this would be a thing, but you know, um, Okay. Well, our final tip, and this is just something I, I threw in here, Tanya, and you may yes. disagree or agree with me, I don't know, but I think especially as my personal children are older and as I'm getting older in my career, my, my last tip is to find that work-life balance if you can and, and preserve it. Like, it's okay to say no. And this is something that I'm coming to more and more as I get older is, um, you know, if someone asks me to do something, it's okay for me to say no because there's other people who have that expertise who might say yes. Um, Alien Miracle talked about this recently in one of her podcasts. I was going to say this too. Yeah, on her Music Room podcast. If it's not a a heck yes, it's a no. Um, You know, you could use the other H word there too. But the idea being, you know, if you're not passionate about it, it's going to show. And so saying yes to something that you are feeling so-so about, you know, I would rather say yes to things that I'm passionate about. And again, if if you have family and you have older children, you know that, as kids get older, they their activities start to take precedence. Like I feel like right now I live in my car because I'm just driving my kids to to activities and rehearsals and you know, and then just also being there for your kids as they get older and go through different things in their adolescence. So all that to say, you know, it's okay to say no and it's okay to to preserve your own personal time for yourself and your own mental health as well. Yeah. And and it doesn't mean that you can't ever do these other things. It just means that maybe now is not the time. And um, I keep thinking about world music pedagogy. I really want the training for world music pedagogy. And I really just have had some conversations with myself saying, you know what, I my, my kids, my own children, one is in middle school, one is in high school, things are happening with their activities, but also with their development and my time with them I mean, it's always been the case, but it's limited as far as before they go off to college or wherever they go. And so I, as painful as it was, I just told myself, listen, you know, if you're going to teach Kodai levels in the summer, you cannot add another, I'm leaving home for a week to do this training, right? Right. And so I've just told myself, this can't happen until the kids are in college. And I, it kind of kills me um, because I so want to do it, but I just can't take, I, I have to make, saying yes to something means saying no to something else yep. is really what it comes down to. 
And so that would be another week of me not with my kids. Yes. So, you know. Okay. Um, And then I wanted to give a couple of resources. Also, Carrie, I just threw this in. Sorry. Did you see all that? Um, Of things that as as you're moving through your career and different stages, even within the year, as far as how you're feeling about teaching and especially in a challenging year, which let's just admit that this is one of those challenging years all around, um, other things that might be helpful. So there's a book called Onward. And if you listen to Nissa Brown's podcast, um, Music and Forward, maybe you've heard mention of this book. It's by Elena Ag- Aguilar, and we've linked it in our show notes. And this book Onward is set out kind of like a calendar where there's a, a, a chapter for each month. And it's really about either preventing teacher burnout or dealing with teacher burnout and ways you can rejuvenate yourself specifically as an educator. And so along with that, Nissa Brown has also interviewed Elena in her Music Ed Forward podcast, and that is totally worth listening to. So those are some things that um, I think are really helpful. Uh, I keep listening to the Cult of Pedagogy podcast and keep meaning to mention it here. Um, but just recently, the last couple episodes I listened to were really helpful. Um, the, the very latest episode, the, and I, I'm sorry, I, I'm spacing on her name and I didn't write it down. Anyway, she talks, while you're talking. <laughs> yeah, she talks to someone about research. And when we say research, we're not talking about spending 10 minutes on Google, like real research and how it's helpful, you know to you as an educator and how to really find research and read it and use it. And I know that sounds really boring and dry. I think it's, it, it's fascinating. Um, it's important. It's important. There's research out there about how to teach better, how kids learn. And it's important to really find that and use it. And that could be something that is rejuvenating. If nothing else, the Cult of Pedagogy podcast is not music education specific, but there's so many wonderful ideas that is out there. Yeah, it's a great podcast. Jennifer Gonzalez. I was going to say Jennifer, and I just wanted to make sure I didn't mess up. You're right. Yeah. Jennifer Gonzalez. Yes. And we'll link to all these things in our show notes. Right. So those are things that could be rejuvenating. This is why I mentioned these resources. Yeah, totally. Okay. So now it's time for our Know Better, Do Better segment where we share a practice or something that we are rethinking in our classroom based on new information or additional information. So anyways, Tanya, what would you like to share with us today? Okay. So I have a question for everyone listening. And really, I got this directly from materials from our district as far as inclusivity and inclusion and equity. Yeah, we have a great department in our district. We do. So- Consider the holidays, because you know, holidays are coming up. Consider the holidays and events that are coming up. What have I done to make sure my school and workplace, in person or virtual, is inclusive and honors the multiple identities that exist in my community? All right. So with Halloween, Halloween is fraught with problems. Mm -hmm. Um, Considering uh, other holidays that maybe we are used to celebrating through music repertoire, Thanksgiving, um, Christmas. Those are the big ones that we hear a lot about. When you are doing that, what are you saying to the kids, to the students in your classroom at that moment? All right. I'm going to continue reading. The fall and winter seasons offer time for connection and celebration for some, but for communities that are at ethically and religiously minoritized, it can be a difficult time. Yeah. So for, for kids whose families do not celebrate the dominant culture's holidays, how does that feel? Considering how, consider how triggering Halloween was for people whose cultures regularly get turned into costumes, essentially, and I always say this wrong, so you all can correct me, menstrualine their identities. Thanksgiving is not so much about giving for people whose land and livelihoods were taken from them due to settler colonialism. 
And Christmas time is so deeply embedded in some people's associations with winter that it can marginalize Muslim, Jewish, Hindu, Buddhist, and other members of our communities. So I'm not here saying cancel Christmas, cancel Thanksgiving, cancel Halloween. Well, maybe cancel Thanksgiving, but that's another thing. Um, so, but just these are things to consider. You know, who is in your school? And if you are uplifting some things and not making mention of others, what does, how does that make students feel, right? If you have students who are celebrating something else at their house where it's a big deal and their church community is uplifting these specific days and no mention at all has been being made in your classroom and yet you are uplifting something like Thanksgiving, what kind of impact does that have, right? Are you there for just your white Christian students? Are you there for all students? And so that's just some things to think about, but I also want to attach like some action items to this. So a small thing that you could do and start with is what's your school population? You know that online you can go and look very specifically percentage wise, how much of your school population is Hispanic, white, Ukraine, any, you know, look and see. Now, then after you have that data, is this reflected in your song literature? Is this reflected in the celebrations of holidays that you have been doing in your classroom? So are you truly reflecting the population that you are teaching? And now it's time for Carrie to share a work smarter, not harder teacher tip. Go Carrie. Okay. Well, it's more of a tool than a tip. Um, and it's something that I've been using for so long that I, I kind of forget to mention it, but I think it's worth mentioning for, for teachers newer to the profession. The My love of iDokio, and Tanya introduced me to this app a very long time ago. So iDokio, or some people say Docio, I don't know the right way to say it. I, uh -huh. I say Docio. And it is an app, and um, I have it on my iPad. I have a school iPad, and that is my teacher iPad. And this is my grade book, my seating chart. I know that there is kind of like a lesson planning calendar -y aspect to it, but I've never used it for that, to Me be honest. Yeah. It's just used for my grade book and my seating charts. And I absolutely love it. I think last I checked, it might've been like $11 or $12, but it's totally so worth it. it. It's 100% worth it. Cause then you've got it for years to come. And the reason why I love it is because it has so many ways you can average your grades, you can put grades into different categories. So like in our district, we have to give every student five grades in the music room based on the different standards. And so I can categorize my grades, I can color code my columns to whatever color coding system oh, I yeah. want. I love the color coding. Oh yeah, I can make those grades average in whatever way I want them to average. So whether it's like a four, three, two, one grade or a percentage grade, you can do it in so many different ways you could weight the grades differently so certain things are worth more than others um, and then the seating charts are great because you can upload your own background to them so like I created a background like in Google Slides with like my colored dots that I have on the floor and then I upload that as my background and then your student um, icons you can upload pictures of your students so you can have their lovely little face mask well, you can just take pictures which is what I do yeah. And then you, yeah, you can take pictures, put it in there, and then you just drag your students around. You can have multiple seating charts for each class. So if you want to have like your main seating chart, but then a second seating chart with like how you would group them for certain things, you can do it that way. There are just, there are so many possibilities with this app. And so um, I just think it's worth mentioning again. I know we're already well into the school year, but if you're still struggling with how am I going to keep data on these kids, what am I doing with my seating charts, and you haven't discovered iDokio yet, we'll, we'll link to it, it in the show notes, but it is an app, and I'm sure it's available on different formats, but I have it on my iPad, and it's okay. great. It's my favorite. I love it, love it, love it. I, I just have to say, I know that a lot of people do seating charts by writing pencil, paper, and I'm a big fan of pencil and paper for a lot of things, but I tell you what. Those seating charts, I, I have three for every class because I've got, here's where they sit normally. 
Here's how I group them for centers or stations. Here's their concert order. If we are performing, then I put them in this order. And I tell you what, this happened last week is I was doing stations for the first time with second graders. It was literally three minutes before they were going to walk in the door. And I was, oh no, I haven't made my groups. But all I had to do was go into my seating charts and you really just drag kids from here, you know, and I just dragged them into four clumps visually on my IDOKIO seating chart too. And I was done, you know, like two minutes before they, it took less than a minute. And it's just so nice. And and you see their faces. Yes, totally. So maybe, yeah, maybe you you just see, oh, well, I was going to put this, oh, wait a minute. I I remember they like to talk and you just, you know, scoot them around having that, those faces on there. Oh, I just love it. Yeah. And you can print those for subs too. You can print them out as like a, you know, you turns it into a PDF and then you can print it and then have it in your sub plan. So you've got your seating plans there. Oh, and one other thing that I love is the randomizer thing. So you can do a spinning wheel with their names. I know the wheel of names site is great, but if you already have them in iDokio, all you have to do is pull up a, and you can have it be based on who's present today if you take attendance. So then it'll only pull up the students' names who are present that day. And so if you're doing like a choice day or any sort of random student selector, the little spinning wheel is really fun too. Oh, and there's an option that um, <laughs> that it'll say the name of whoever's picked. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so I, I use that in my kids. Are... Because I don't oh, I... think it will pronounce names very well, but <laughs> well, there's that too. Yeah. So here's the CODA section where we give a personal recommendation, something we're enjoying in or out of our classroom. I think we're both going to talk that out today, which is funny. Tanya, what have you been enjoying lately? Okay. Well, first of all, mea culpa, because I've been avoiding this. I don't know why. Um, But Laura, who is one of our listeners, was talking about this when we had our online um, Zoom meetup at the end of our book club this past summer and she she mentioned Ted Lasso and I was like oh everybody's been talking about Ted Lasso and I've been avoiding it mostly because well it's about a um, American uh, football coach who gets a job over in um, England to teach like foot uh, soccer but but it's football right football um, and is it goes over and coaches this uh, football team and he's, he's kind of, you know, a Southern uh, got his, he's got a, a, a Southern drawl. And I, I guess I was avoiding it. Cause I was like sports, uh, you know, <laughs> because I'm like, what, I won't be able to relate to anything that's mostly about sports. Well, it's not really mostly about sports. It's mostly about coaching and the main character, Ted Lasso. He is what you would call an optimist, which is not what I would call me. And I just, but in a really, um, how can I say this? A really refreshing way, not an eternal sunshiny, um, doofusy optimist, but, um, I, I just, I want to be Ted Lasso when I grow up too, because he's able to take a lot of uh, negativity and still coach positively. And I am not done with the first season. Um, I know that there's a second season and I'm, I'm almost done with the first season, but I just, I don't know, some great ideas out there about optimism that are not, they don't hit you over the head with it. It's just really well done. You know, Ted Lasso. Um, I just, I want to be able to be a positive influencer, just like that character. Awesome. So there you go. I know I'm a geek. Sorry. It took me so long. Thank you, Laura. Oh, (laughs) talk about taking long. This is even worse, Tanya, because this is always carry late to the party, but I finally started watching the crown. Like, finally, I know people have been watching this for years and talk about what a fantastic show it is. And I've never been somebody who's been particularly obsessed with royalty-related gossip and topics. But um, it's fascinating. I love it. I think it's great. I'm, like, halfway through season one. I'm moving slowly. But I don't know. Something about with the changing cooler weather and, you know, watching, like, chilly, foggy 
Great Britain set shows. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's matching my vibe and my mood lately. It's a little dark and broody, which is how I'm feeling these days. Oh, I haven't watched all of it, but it's fun. Have you gotten to the Jillian Anderson as Margaret Thatcher? No, see, I'm still in season one. So I'm still back in, you know, I, I mean, I just watched the coronation. Like, because okay. she really. is amazing, by yeah. the way, but you know. Yeah, yeah, and this, I mean, the acting in it is great. The music is great. I mean, just the costuming. It's its beautiful. It's a beautiful show to watch. And um, yeah, I'm just enjoying it. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. Also, consider buying us a coffee. In our next episode, we'll be offering tips and advice for cooperating teachers who will be welcoming a student teacher into their classroom in the near future. Until the next time, this is Tanya. And this is Carrie wishing you happy musicking.